Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 all the way through verse 25. Told you we're jumping in with both feet. So here we go, Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Luke writes, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Okay? So we begin there, verse 1. This is not the first attempt at writing a gospel. Luke is, is following in the footsteps of others, most notably Mark. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He's he's actually heard these teachings from the disciples themselves. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated, he's actually checked these things out to know that they're true, investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, uh, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you about this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in uh, seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Four things I want to share with you this morning. When we left out of town last week, there were only three and, you know, see, that's what happens when the pastor gets alone and has some time. We added another one. So here we go. Four things this morning for you that I want you to see. And here, here's the first. It's kind of a big deal. I want you to see this morning that only the gospel can ease the mind and make sure the heart of man. 
Only the gospel can ease the mind and make sure the heart of man. Verse 3 and 4, Luke's explaining what what he's doing. He says, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, Luke is writing a guy named Theophilus. Now, some have argued that Theophilus is, is just the Greek uh, meaning of this name. It just means lover of God. So they just think, well, it's just for all lovers of God. The only problem with that is he uses this, this little uh, prefix here before he says, most excellent Theophilus. Now, most excellent was a title that if you were writing somebody that was part of the Roman government, they had, a, they had a, an office in Roman government, that, that's how you would address them, most excellent, and then you would put their name. And so we actually believe that this is some kind of Roman official, and, uh, and evidently they've heard the gospel. Now, now I'm going to tell you just my two cents. I always tell you if it's my two cents. I don't believe that Theophilus is a believer yet, Okay. I'm going to be honest with you, and, and, and that's because when you read the whole book of Luke, he's never addressed his brother, not one time. We, we, he's never, Luke never says, my brother in the Lord, it's just not in there. But, but what he does say, is he says, most excellent Theophilus, I know that you've heard a lot about Jesus, so I'm writing this down to you, I'm writing the whole gospel for you, because I want you to be certain about what you've heard. I want you to be certain about what you've heard. And and I want you to notice this. This this is the thing I really want you to focus in on here for a second. Luke didn't think that it was enough to simply let his life be an example for Theophilus. Follow me here. Luke didn't think that it would be enough for just his life to be an example for Theophilus. Instead, he felt the need to write down the entire story of Jesus so that Theophilus might have certainty. See, Luke understood what what you and I need. And and maybe you've heard this quote before, like it's all over the place. It's all over the internet. People have Christian t-shirts and Christian mugs. Francis uh, of Assisi, right? You've heard this before. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words, right? Isn't that an awesome saying? I'm like, yeah. Yes, Francis, that's great. And we believe in that, right? I mean, that's part of our mission here as a church, right? Do something. Love God, love people. Do, we want you to do good works. But our world has gotten to this point that they honestly think, but as long as I'm doing good, that's enough. I don't need the gospel. No! Listen to me. My good works may make somebody take notice. They may make somebody stand up and go, there's something different about them. My good works may get somebody's attention. My, my good works may, may cause somebody to think about God. They may do that, but my good works can't make somebody's heart sure that, the, that, that God loves them. My good works can't do that. Only the gospel can. And some of you are going, well, how can the gospel do that? Because you don't even know what the gospel is. We're so far removed from the gospel, from from the true story of God and his pursuit of us. We don't know. See, we think that the gospel uh, in church is what we've taught forever. The gospel is just that little set of beliefs that when rightly believed get us into heaven, right? You know, that yes, I'm a sinner and then Jesus died for me. I need to... So we think that the gospel is like the ABCs of salvation, but biblically, that's not the gospel. That's just the tip of the gospel, right? The true gospel is the fact that God loves you. Like, the gospel is all about the fact that you're loved by God. That's the gospel. God loved you, and he created you in his image, and he made you to be with him because he loves you. Like, that's the gospel. And then we rejected that love. 
We, we rebelled against that love. We said, no, I want to I love myself. I want to put myself in that place that you want to be God. And, and, and so, so, so literally, because of our sin, we're separated from God and we're destined to die in separation. This is the gospel story. But, but God's love for us, like if we rejected somebody like that, they'd be done with us, right? How many of you here, you don't raise your hand, okay? But you're kind of that person. If somebody burns you, you're done. That, that bridge is burned. You're not rebuilding that sucker, man. I didn't just burn it. I excavated it. You know what I'm saying? Like That, that property doesn't even exist anymore. We went ahead and dropped a, dropped a nuke there. That's not there. Because that's how we love. But God didn't love that way. See, when we rejected him, when we rebelled against him, God's love actually, in, in, in my estimation, right? And, and I know that God's unchanged, but it seems like God's love increased for me. When I rebelled him, he pursued me harder to the point that he took my place and and he took my penalty upon himself. He died. That's the penalty of sin is is death. He died in my place. This is the gospel story that God loves me that much, right? And, And here's what I want you to understand. This is why the gospel story is so important. The gospel story is so important because my works can't, can't, can't do that. But when you understand that there is a God that loves you so much that there is nothing that you can do to make him not love you. That you can never run too far for him. That, that you can never mess up too much for him. Because in the midst of your worst mess up, in the midst of your greatest failure, in the midst of, of you screaming out, God, I hate you, he died in your place and said, you may hate me now, but I love you and I am doing this for you because I made you to be with me. That's the gospel. And here's what the gospel does. Unlike anything else in the world, it cements in our lives this truth that no matter how bad we may be, there is a God that loves us just as we are. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can do that. And so Luke writes and he says, man, Theophilus, I'm writing you the gospel. I'm I'm, going to share with you the whole story because you could look at my life but that, that's not going to let you know how much God really loves you. You need the whole story, and he writes the whole story, and we're blessed by it. Amen? All right? So we begin there. That's one. Here's number two. Number two. Just Again, we're just walking through the text. According to the text, God thinks it is great when we help people get ready for him. God thinks it's great when we help people uh, get ready for him. Verse 13, the angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah and says, hey, you're going you're to have a son. His name is going to be John. And oh, by the way, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. And he goes on and he lists some of the things. Like, listen, he's not going to drink for a minute drink. He's, he's going to eat locusts and honey. He's going to do blah, 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 blah. But, but, then he says, but, but, here, but he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And this is why. Because he's going to spend his life preparing people for the Lord. This is what it is. He's going he's to spend his life preparing people for the Lord. Now listen to me. In our world, we have our own economy. I want to explain that, okay? We, we have, have, have decided what is important in our world, we as humans. And so this is how we kind of rate things, okay? This is, this is how our own scales of greatness. So, so sometimes our scale is, is wealth, Right? And that's kind of how, how good I'm doing is based on how much money I'm doing, how much I have in the bank, whether I'll be able to retire. So that's how we define our level of greatness. For some of us, it's fame. Like, what, 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 is, my, what is my influence? How, how many people hear my voice? How many people listen to me? Am I, am I, am I known? Am I liked? Right? It, so it's about fame. For some people, it's about, it's about power. How many people do I control? 
right? What, what do I have control over? And, that, and that's great. If I've got control and I have 50 people that work under me, ooh, ooh, man, I, I've really risen up in, in my economy. For some people, um, it's popularity. It's all about being well-liked, right? And as long as I'm well-liked, then everything is okay. And so, so based on that economy, that's kind of how we, we go. For some people, uh, it's goodness. I know that sounds crazy, but some people think that's, that's what it means to really be great. Just be good which is, is silly, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but good, I, I'm a good person. That's their aim in life. Just to, when, when all is said and done, I just want people to think, I was really good. Um, you should aim higher than that, by the way. Uh, some, people, some people, it's athleticism, right? I mean, come on, NFL back. It started on Thursday with, with that game between the Steelers and the Cheaters, I mean the Patriots. Um, and uh, so that was on, right? And, uh, and so that was on. I'm, I'm kidding. I really don't care because uh, it's football and it's a game, and you shouldn't care that much. Uh, anyway, but, but it, it's back. And so, so some of you are going to go sit in front of the big TV and, and we're going to be in awe and our jaw is going to drop over somebody's athleticism. And we think, man, they're great. They're such a great, 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 great person. Well, actually, they could be like the scum of the earth, but because they can leap over a building in a, in a single bound and, and sack a quarterback, oh, we should follow them and teach our kids to worship them. See, we, we have our own economy. We have our own economy. Whether you, you understand it or not, we buy in and, and we believe this is what's important. But here's the problem with that. God also has his own economy. And when we study the Bible, God's economy is actually the opposite of our own. Now, now hear me, not just different than our own. His economy, he, it's actually the opposite of our own. Okay? So, so the things that, that we say are the least, God says are the great, greatest. The things that we say are, are, are the last, he actually says are the first. So it's not just a different economy. It's a completely, in God's kingdom, the last are first, the least are greatest. What I'm saying to you guys is God doesn't care about the things that we think are great. God has defined greatness because he's God. He's already said this is what's great. And, and what does he say is great? Are you ready? Wait, so what is greatness, Lord? Like, like I want to be great. I don't want to be good. So God, what is greatness? And God says, here's what's great. When you spend yourself, when, when you pour out every moment of time that you had breath in your lungs, every, every moment when you pour that in to helping other people get ready for me, that is great. That is great. You know what a great life is? A great life is a life spent as a, as a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a school teacher or a banker or, or, or a, you, know, you name it. It's a life spent doing those things, helping people get ready for God. That's a life well spent. That's greatness. See, John wasn't lauded because he had Baptist in his name. And he wasn't great because he didn't drink and he was a Nazarite. He wasn't great because he ate locusts and, and, and honey because I think that personally would be nasty. I'd rather have a pizza. That's not what made him great. He was great because he expended himself. While he had breath, he lived for the sole purpose of getting people ready for God. Friends, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but we are meant to live for that same sole purpose. Just getting people ready. Do you remember his message? It wasn't, it wasn't complicated. Ready? Here it is. Ready? Jesus is coming. Get ready. Do you realize we just have the same message? Like, it's already written. You don't even have to make up the message. It's there. Hey, hey, Jesus is coming. You can even add back if you want to. 
You, you draw Jesus in like the cartoonish like, little robe, put some sunglasses on him like the Terminator. I'll be back. He's coming back. Get ready. Get ready. That's it. That's the message, okay? That's what God thinks is great. That's what God thinks is great. Why don't we get on the same page with him? Wouldn't that be awesome? I think that'd be pretty good. Okay, number three. Number three. <clears throat> huge right here. This is huge. Some of you need to hear this. God often does the extraordinary through ordinary acts of obedience. God often does the extraordinary through ordinary acts of obedience. Uh, This is the heart of the story. Verse verse 5 through 25, God, after 400 years of silence, right, Stop speaking, and Malachi, stop speaking with, listen, um, and I'm going to turn the, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and children of the fathers. Like he, God stops, he's silent for 400 years, and when God begins speaking again, it's the same message, and so he's going to do this great thing, and, and he's going to do it through this guy named Zachariah, this priest, and through his wife named Elizabeth. Now, I want you to notice in the story, did you see the amazing things they did so that God would do this for them? Did you notice? Oh, you didn't catch that. You, you didn't see that they figured out how to recreate the burning bush? Y'all didn't catch that? You, you didn't see that they went up on top of the mountain and kind of recreated a Elijah and, a, 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 and all the prophets of Baal? You didn't catch that? You didn't notice that they had whittled their own staff like Moses and went and parted the seas? You didn't, you didn't see that in the story either? You know why? Because it didn't happen. God... He's going to do something amazing. He's going to do something great. And he's going to do it in the life of who? Ordinary people that are obedient. Do you know what you know what is doing on the day that Gabriel shows up and, and gives him this promise? You know what he's doing? Going to work. Just working his job, man. That's all he's doing. He's just working his job. You know what it says about him in verse 6? It says that they were, they, were, they were blameless. They were faithful. They're just faithful people obeying God. And, and God shows up in the middle of a very ordinary day. He, he was called into work. He gets there. They rolled some dice. Said, dude, it's your turn. Hope you don't die. He goes in to, to, to light some incense. And, and Gabriel shows up. Just an ordinary day. Ordinary accident. Why do I say this to you? Okay? Because I know too many Christians that look for mountaintop moments. I know too many Christians that try to recreate mountaintop moments thinking that that's what the Christian life is really all about. All right, like, like man, I, I want to, I want to see Jesus, like Peter and and, and James and John. I want to be on that mountain of transfiguration. I want to see Jesus in all of His glory. Well, guess what? That's great, but we don't have the gospel because the mountain of transfiguration. Think about this with me. Imagine if that was all that they ever had. Imagine if Peter, James, and John, all they did was had that one moment on top of the mountain with Jesus. Would there be a story to tell? Hey, we had this one moment. It was really cool. See, we have the gospel. We, we have the story of God among us, not because of one moment, but because of these men lived every minute with the Lord. And that's what I would say to you. I would say to you, listen, God is, is, is going to do extraordinary things in your life, not when you try to seek out a special moment, but that when you decide that every minute of your life belongs to Him. And when you walk in obedience like that, God is going to reveal himself to you in ways that you just can't even fathom. You know, for me, it's like those moments when I I get up and I get my coffee and I actually decide to bow my head in the morning and say, hey, God, it's me. Man, it's been too long. 
And God just shows up. And he does great things in my heart, in my life. God doesn't just want you for mountaintop experiences. He wants to reveal his power to you every minute of your life. Every minute of your life. Number four. Number four. Once you see this, when, when God makes a promise, <laughs> when God makes a promise, you better believe it. When God makes a promise, you, you, you better believe it. Um, on several occasions in this church, I've taught this principle, okay? God always keeps his promises. Like you, if you hadn't been here for one of those, just write that down. God always keeps his promises. And, and, and he does because that's who God is, right? So in God's nature, uh, God is faithful. The Bible says that's his nature. He is faithful. He's always faithful, right? God is truth. God, God cannot be uh, untruthful. In fact, the Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. Because of who God is, uh, when God makes a promise, he has to keep it because he's God. Like, like God cannot renege on a promise because it is, it, he's unable to do so because he's faithful and true. Okay, you following me? Like, so he has to keep his promise because he's God. He's bound by his character to, to keep the promises that he makes. He can't renege on things like we do. Okay, so, so follow me here. God makes a promise. And, and he makes this promise to uh, Zechariah and, and to Elizabeth, and, and it's pretty cool. Uh, so he, he's going to make the, this promise. Now, what this means, by the way, this, this principle, uh, it, it means that the fault never lies with God or his promises. You may, you may be struggling, and you may need to write that down somewhere. The fault never lies with God or his promises, okay? And, and this, is, this is one thing God really showed me this week as is, is we were away. Uh, see, instead, like Zachariah, it usually lies with us and with our lack of belief. So let's walk through the story. Gabriel is the head honcho of all angels, okay? Gabriel, he, he's chief commander of all angels. He, he oversees legions and legions and legions of angels. That's kind of, you kind of need to know that backstory. That's who's talking to Zechariah when he's like, why are you questioning me? I mean, he kind of has like, you know, it's kind of a big deal. Now, angels, you say, what about an angel? Is that, is that a big deal? Angels are powerful. They're powerful creatures. They're not God. They can't be everywhere at one time. They can't be in your head, but they are powerful creatures. In the Old Testament, one angel takes out an entire army of Assyrians, 185,000 people. One angel kills them all. Okay, these are powerful. This is why when somebody sees an angel, they're like, oh, don't kill me. Like, I mean, that's, that's what happened. And that's why the angel, their first thing is always like, do not be afraid. I wonder if they ever get tired of saying it. You know, they show up and they're like, don't be afraid. Don't be like, it's like they, you know, like when a telemarketer calls you, they have like the cue. I think the angels show up and they have to pull out the card. Do not be afraid. <laughs> like that's step one. Tell the cowering puddle there that you're not going to kill them. Step one. All right. So Gabriel shows up and he's like, listen, stop freaking out. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. And he's like, listen, God has heard your cry for a child and he's going to give you a child. That's a promise. You can take it to the bank. That's a promise of God. Okay? So, so but, now, now what, what is Zachariah's response? Well, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Does he start to, like, like is, is it that way? I, how, how does he respond? Does, does he, does he uh, start dancing in jubilation like David, stripping off clothes and doing a jig? You know, woohoo! God is good. Does he pass out? Like, you know, no. He questions. He, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe the promise of God. Now, here's the crazy thing about God. Like, you cannot believe his promise, and he still provides it because he always keeps his promise. 
So Gabriel is unfaithful. He, he doesn't believe. But guess what? God always keeps his promises. So he has a son and his name is John. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Like when we don't believe him, when we don't trust him, he still keeps his word. He still keeps his promise. So like he keeps that. But here's what I want you to see. He misses something else. While he receives the promise of God, he misses so much of the blessing that God had intended to go along with the promise. I'm going to say that again. While he still received the promise of God, he missed so much of the blessing that was intended to go along with the promise. See, the result for his disbelief was he couldn't speak for nine months. Now, how many of you have had children or a child? If you are a child, you won't understand. But you've had children at some point. Anybody had children at some point? You, this is a raise your hand. Uh, I, some of you, I know your children. So if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to be a liar. Um, how many of you have too many children? No, I'm joking. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm, um, okay, so we have children, right? We have kids. And, and so here's, here's the deal. I remember, I remember the first kid, everything's different, right? And so I remember the very first, we've been trying to, to get pregnant forever, it seemed like. It was like three years, and, and it just never happened. And I know it led to difficult conversations. I'll never forget when she goes, oh, I'm pregnant. I was like, ah, freaked out and ran away. And no, um, but, I, but here's it. That first nine months while we're waiting on, on Cole to show up, we had all these great conversations. We would, we would sit and kind of daydream about the kind of young man that he would become and how the Lord would use him. I, I remember like Hope had a whole vision for the nursery. That's what happens with the first kids, right? Like you remodel your house for a nursery. By the third kid, they're, keep, they're, they're sleeping in the drawer by the bed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the first kid, man, you just you remodel the whole house so you can have a nursery. You paint all the stripes. You buy all the pillows and all the matchy-matchy. And the third kid's like, please just sleep. For the love of God, sleep. You can sleep in my bed. I don't care. Just don't wake me up. And here's the deal. I, I wouldn't trade that nine months for anything. I wouldn't trade the blessing of all of those conversations. And guess what? Zechariah missed it. Elizabeth missed it. They didn't have any of that time. Can you imagine? They didn't have any of that time. They didn't have that intimacy. They didn't, they didn't have all those, those, those thousands of moments that God intended them to have where their hearts were united around the vision of this child. They missed so much of the blessing of the promise. Now, they still receive the promise, but they missed the blessing. Guys, you know what? The same is true for us. God says things to us, promises, like, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise of God. God, God never leaves you. If you're a Christian, he never leaves you. you. You say, but I ran away from him. He was still with you. I was in the pig pen. He was there saying, I've got something better for you to eat. God never leaves you. You cannot run away from him. You can't. God never leaves you. That is a promise you can take it to the bank. But when we don't believe it, we forget that he is there. He's there, but we forget it. And, 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 and we walk around in broken fellowship with the God who is actually walking through the, the pig pen with us. And the whole time we could just call out to him. The whole time. See, we miss the blessing. We still have the promise. God is there. He's, not, he's never left us or forsaken us. But we miss all of the blessing of the promise, okay? Don't miss the blessing. God doesn't just want you to have the promise. He wants you to have the blessing attached to the promise. All right? It's a big deal. 
It's a big deal, okay? So what do we do? What do we do? I think we're supposed to be done at some point. Yeah, wow. Hey, don't worry. Kickoff's not coming anytime soon. Um, here, here, here we go. I'm just going to give you some application. We can go home, all right? Uh, number one, I would challenge you because of this text to invite others into the gospel story of Luke. Uh, if you want, I know some of you got flyers in the mail. Um, if you didn't, there's flyers on your way out, um, out these doors. You can grab one, take it to a neighbor, take it to a friend. Invite others into the gospel story of Luke. Why? Because what we do, and we are, we're called to live, we're, we're called to do something, right? We're called to live uh, righteous lives in, in front of people. We're called to do that. We can't stop doing that, but that's not enough. Your lifestyle is not going to be enough. They have to hear the gospel. Only the gospel can assure them of God's love for them. Only the gospel can do that. So they've got to hear the gospel. So invite them into the story of Luke. We're going to hear it on display. We're going to live it out together. The gospel is going to be unraveled here before our very eyes. And so so do that. Number two, uh, I want to challenge you, don't settle for good. Don't settle for good. And once you fill in that blank, I need you to write down a whole sentence under that, over that. Go get a tattoo. This one's worth it. Ready? All right. Here we go. Good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. When when you're content with being good, you will never strive to be great. And God did not create you to be good. I I hate that. I hate that. I'm a good person. Well, Well, you've settled. If that's what you want said of your life, you have settled and fallen so short of the glory of God. God did not create you to be good. He created you to be great. He created you to shine like a star in the universe as you hold out the gospel. That's Philippians. You were made, Philippians 2, to to shine like a star in the universe. That's great. I don't know any good stars. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't go out at night and look up in the sky and go, oh, that one's okay. Like I, I, I look up in the sky and go, wow. I wonder what that looks like up close. I, look, look at the radiance there. Look at the glory there. And you're not made to be good. You're not meant for okay. You're not meant for someone to say, hey, how's life? Oh, it's fine. God didn't create you for fine. He created you for fantastic. You are designed for greatness. And what is greatness in God's kingdom? Helping people get ready for Jesus. God has designed you to live your life as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a teacher, as a mother, as a stay-at-home mom. God, God, God has designed you as somebody that has retired recently to live your life, to pour it out, helping people get ready for the Lord. That's what you're meant for. That's what you're designed for. And there's nothing greater in the world than that one single purpose. Okay? So you may be here this morning and you're not living for that purpose. Maybe you're living for retirement or you're living to pay bills. Or you're living for, for sports. Like I, I, can get, I can get caught up in that. Like I, I'm, I'm glad that my kids have a little bit of athleticism. But listen, I don't care if any of them make it to play professional anything. I do care that they love the Lord with all that they are and they spend their life for his glory. That's the greatest game. So we've got to readjust our economy, don't we? We've got to match it up with God. So don't settle for good. Number three, uh, love God through ordinary, everyday acts of obedience. Some of you need to hear that because you've been trying to recreate the mountaintop moments. 
Like, you were at a worship service, and it was so awesome, and the lights were dimmed, and, and man, God spoke, and so you're like trying to recreate that. You need the same band or the same song. Every time you get in your car, you replay the song, you close your eyes, try to take yourself there, and God's like, just walk with me. Like, I have new mercies for you every day. New mercies! Like, and you are in need of mercy. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah, praising Jesus, glory to God. I need new mercy every day. I need it every moment, and it's for me. God is forming these new mercies. He just wants me to walk in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Obey me. In the little things, God doesn't want you for a moment. He wants you every minute. Walk in the everyday acts of obedience. Number four, and we're done. Believe God and experience his blessing. God's promise is always true. He always keeps it. And God's promise always brings with it a blessing. God's promise always has blessing attached. When we don't believe him, we often miss that blessing. We still receive the promise because God's faithful, but we miss all the blessing attached with it, okay? Do you guys pray with me this morning? Father,